Ash and the Flame. It sounds like a high school home ec romance novel. <laughs> Hello and welcome to 76 Small Rooms, an architectural podcast from Auckland, New Zealand. I'm Jeremy Hansen, and just to prove we're not a flash in the pan, we're here with our second ever podcast. I'm Arch, and a big thank you to those of you who listened to our first podcast, and an even bigger thank you to those of you who bothered to write us kind notes. It's Matt here. I've been picking up the feedback on our Facebook page, our Gmail account, and through our Twitter account. Um, it's been great to hear from those people who have contributed and, and given us some feedback. Either everyone loved it, or everyone was too polite to say otherwise. Hi, I'm Tash. In this episode of 76 Small Rooms, we valiantly battle technical and scheduling difficulties, so we hope you find it worthwhile. Today we're going to Venice, we wish. Well, sort of, anyway. About a month ago, the New Zealand Institute of Architects announced the names of the successful bidders to represent the country at the 2016 Venice Architecture Biennale. Charles Walker, an associate professor at AUT, will be the creative director of a nine-strong team charged with executing their concept for the six-month-long exhibition. We're going to speak to Charles and his team later in this podcast. But first, to find out more about what the Venice Architecture Biennale is about, we visited last year's New Zealand Representative's creative director, David Mitchell of Mitchell South Architects, whose team included his partner, Julie Stout, and Julian Mitchell. We talked to them in their offices in Auckland's High Street and first asked David what the Venice Architecture Biennale actually is. Okay, the Venice Biennale of Architecture is the biggest sort of festival of architecture, I know there's another one, the biggest in the world, and it has about um, 60 to 70 entrants, countries are represented in it. Um, and this show that we did was the first presentation by New Zealand of an exhibition about our architecture. The particular um, theme of the show last year was that, um, that over the last hundred years the question was asked, have, has architecture around the world become more and more the same? And so there was a kind of invitation to discuss that idea, that, that nationalism in architecture or the kind of national characteristics of architecture that could be easily identified as in say Hindu architecture or Chinese architecture had all washed away and modernism had swept the world and made us all if you like architecturally the same. We believed that New Zealand architecture was different, was more different now than a hundred years before. In other words we felt as though a hundred years ago uh, all New Zealand architects saw themselves as a kind of branch of the British and, and we embraced um, essentially 19th century values about neoclassicism and the, and the um, desirability of the romantic to appear in the church and the classical to appear in the museum and um, whereas now uh, it seems to me that um, New Zealand architecture is more recognisably distinct than it was then. And we set out to show um, what that distinction might be, I guess. Essentially, we were taking a line that there is an architecture in the Pacific made of poles and sticks and thatch, which Julie and I happened to have seen, as well as Mike, by sailing a boat around the Pacific, um, which was different from European architecture. And it was, it was resilient and flexible and uh, so we wanted to look at that and we wanted to look at it as it appeared in New Zealand architecture in, during the last century and as it appears now. How did you do that? What, 
how did it manifest itself in the space you had in Venice? We had a we had an, an essentially ornate and rather wonderful Venetian room, you know, a palazzo we were in with a stone floor, and we weren't allowed to um, fix things. We built a kind of archetypal house, if you like, or thorough. You could please yourself what you wanted to call it, but it was made of fabric and it was house-like, and it <clears throat> and everything hung from the beams of the ceiling. So it was all done with string and cloth and backlighting. And on the pa panels of this, uh, of this structure, a structure that seemed to have no structure, because where the rafters of a house or a faro might be, or a meeting house might be, there were simply gaps between the, the panels. And the panels were embellished with um, pictures that traced the history of our architecture along this particular line. For better or for worse, and probably for worse, whenever New Zealand participates in either the art biennale or the architecture, questions of value arise. Um, and I wondered how you had to, if you had to concern yourselves with how you measured the value in your exhibition and whether you feel it proved it. Yeah. I think actually, having said just quickly, I think a lot of other exhibitions spent far more money than, than us, didn't yes. they? We're probably all of them. Probably, probably all of them. Yeah, yeah last lovely is lovely as cheapest. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We spent as little as we could, but how do you assess these things at the end? At the end? Um, I think what we were saying was an important thing to say. Um, it's not the only thing to say, which is a marvellous thing about it, because, you know, here's Charles and his gang about to say something different. Yet, in a funny way, Related to mm. to it, you know, st we're still in the Pacific. It's islands. Mm. Yeah, and, uh, mm. um, it is a global show. It is a world show, and and I think that um, it was tragic that New Zealand has taken so long to actually be part of that um, forum, mm. and um, and so I think it's fantastic that they are carrying on doing it. And I, when you talk to the Australians, they had the same problem 14 years ago that um, it was a struggle for them to get something together, people questioned it or, you know, or put it down, but now it's firmly embedded in what they do as a profession. And um, I've just built a new pavilion. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think it sort of pays off um, just by sheer being there. You can see photographs of last year's exhibition on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash 76smallrooms, using the numbers 7 and 6. You can also follow us on Twitter, where we'll be posting images as well. Next, we speak to the team that is representing New Zealand at the Venice Architecture Biennale next year. They were selected after a competitive pitch process run by the New Zealand Institute of Architects, who are also funding the Venice Adventure. We talked to creative director Charles Walker, as well as some of the other team members, Cathy Waghorn from the University of Auckland, as well as architects Jessica Barter and Maggie Carroll of Bureau. First, Charles told us about the concept, which has a lot to do with a favourite architecture book. Um, I'm Charles Walker, I'm the creative director of the um, New Zealand Exhibition. Um, I suppose my role so far has been to persuade the rest of this talented team to come in <laughs> on this mission. I'm Cathy Waghorn, I'm the Associate Director of the project and I was persuaded, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Well, it's good. It's, it's come out of a um, the whole the whole bid for it has come out of a really interesting discussion so far. Really. And I'm Jessica Barter, and I am one of the architect members on the team, and half of bureau, one of the one of the two directors of bureau, and so I think. Um, our involvement, the team's made up of, of architects and makers and academics and I think our involvement as the architects is to be involved with the discussion and, and critiquing the making and um, sort of sit on the edge a little bit. And I'm Maggie Carroll, I'm Jess's business partner, the other half of Bureau. Um, like Jess said, we'll be providing some backup support for the team. Um, through critique, hopefully helping out with project management and um, yeah, playing our part as architects within the team. I guess we should also mention the other team members. Yeah, so it's quite a big class photo. It is. Yeah. I mean, we have, uh, I think, nine, nine people on the team. Um, so the other architects are uh, Riri Thompson, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Auckland-based architect, and John Rennie, who is the director of Athil's Auckland office. Um, and then we have uh, three makers, and we thought that was a really important part of our bid to have um, control of the fabrication mm-hmm. process. And so we have um, Minka Ip, who most architects in town will know because he's probably made models for them at some point, mm-hmm. um, really talented uh, model maker. Uh, Stephen Brookbanks, who uh, his, his company is called Object Support, and Stephen specializes in installing uh, artifacts in museums and art galleries and private collections. So he can make stuff, mm-hmm. can make almost anything out of metal or anything. Um, and um, Bruce Ferguson, who, uh, with along with his partner Emma Wolf, uh, run a company called Darkroom, and they do motion graphics, uh, projection mapping, and things like that. And they've recently returned to New Zealand after ten or twelve years mm-hmm. in London, and they've been working internationally on some really high-end advertising and art-based campaigns. So we're really lucky that they're kind of doing this. I vaguely thought of doing one last year and I didn't get around to it. But I've been interested in it and having seen what they did last year, I became interested in thinking about it again. And you know, obviously you have to think about how well how do you put together an exhibition about New Zealand architecture? How do you tell the story of New Zealand architecture uh, in an international context and then specifically in Venice? You know, which is quite daunting, you know, putting it out there. And the other, so um, there were maybe two or three related aspects to the concept. A lot of architects, architecture students of my generation have probably read Invisible Cities. It became a bit of a kind of cult book amongst architects. Um, but, you know, for those who don't know the story, it, it really revolves around uh, Marco Polo, the Italian explorer telling stories to Kublai Khan about all the fantastic, wondrous cities he'd seen on his travels, and Kublai Khan is kind of entranced, he, well, he rules half the world, he doesn't know why he hasn't been to these places. Uh, and, and of course, uh, Polo is, is really telling, uh, he tells 55 stories, he tells 55 different imaginary versions of Venice, describing all sorts of aspects at different scales. Um, and he talks very poetically about these cities. He talks about cities of desire and cities of the night, and you know, um, and they're described in great detail. And so we thought, could we, could we tell stories of New Zealand architecture in a similar way uh, that would make sense? You know, water, water. Um, 
but also the other thing that we were very interested in, and Kathy and I, we, we, we met up at a symposium a couple weeks before we started talking about this, and, and we were interested in the diversity of New Zealand architecture, and that, you know, I was aware that, I mean, I've been in New Zealand 20 years, and I've seen a huge kind of change in that time, and I've also been aware that we've, uh, as a profession, as a discipline, we've, we've been quite concerned to kind of tell one story. We've, we've, there's been a lot of effort into kind of making New Zealand architecture the stream of mainstream modernism, you know, the group, mm. uh, uh, and, and everything has come from, you know, there's been a lot of investment in those kind of stories. And I think that's really good that, to examine our history, but it seemed to me that when we look at um, the kind of people who are coming into architecture schools and moving into practice, and, and, and practice, they're doing quite different things, they're coming from different background time. Mm -hmm. And so we thought, well, they're almost like these kind of islands of practice that people are aware of what other people are doing, mm -hmm. but they're doing their thing. And some of the islands are close together and some are far apart. Um, and that seemed like a kind of if rather obvious, probably, metaphor. Um, but islands are a good metaphor because historic islands have always provided this, these, these kind of um, alternative environments. People have imagined what it's like to live on an island, mm. you know, as a utopian or sometimes dystopian, you know, kind of Lord of the Flies kind mm -hmm, of like People mm -hmm. get banished to islands, get imprisoned and trapped on them, or they escape to them, you know, and it seemed that that, that offered something of the quality that Calvino was kind of trying to capture. Um, and also, um, ecologically, islands are often laboratories mm. as well, so you get the emergence of very kind of peculiar niche species when, on an ecological sense, so there's that kind of idea of these niches of practice. And I was thinking too that maybe um, because Charles and I have both been involved in architectural education for you know, a number of years that um, you know, when you're seeing cohorts of students coming through and through and through, you get a sense of this diversity that's, that's sort of emergent, mm -hmm. that maybe you know, we, we see it really kind of um, happening every year, every year, this, you know, where students are coming from, how they come to be in New Zealand, what their family stories are, what their, sort of, sort of what their relationships are to this place, and then how that informs the kinds of architectures that they're interested in and want to make, and the kinds of careers that they'd like to pursue. And I think that's just becoming more and more interesting and diverse. It's quite an interesting provocation in some ways, isn't it? Because as you mentioned, Charles, there's been almost a striving to shape a singular architectural narrative for New Zealand. And with this project, you're um, contradicting that almost completely by saying, actually, that's not the case, or are you saying that's not the case now and it has potentially been the case? Yeah, yeah I think it's probably a lot of politics and, and taking positions on that, but I mean, I, I, I know I'm quite interested in pushing you into, almost pushing you into that, because there's a, there's a friction here between the idea of the island as isolationist, which you mentioned, Cathy, and then the idea of islands being perhaps clustered and feeding off one another and influencing yeah. one another. I'm interested if you have a view as to which one maybe New Zealand is, or whether that's too direct an analogy and you're not actually I, I, interested in I think in we're that. not really interested in that direct. I mean, we, we're thinking in terms of archipelagos, you know, yeah. mm -hmm. of influence. Yeah. And it's, it's not unlike... The other, other people, you know, like uh, Andrew Barry and Simon Tuzov, try to look at kind of architectural family trees. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's it's just a kind of another level of kind of metaphor, I suppose. Um, but the other thing that we were interested in this exhibition was was to create something that wasn't very didactic. We're not saying that New Zealand architecture is this or that or not this or not that. It's actually we're interested in creating a kind of experience um, or a. Uh, a kind of sensation 
of architecture because when you exhibit architecture, the architecture is not usually present. You know, you, unless you actually recreate a building or something. So you're not exhibiting architecture, you're exhibiting these kind of proxies and drawings and photographs mm -hmm. and models. And so the exhibition itself takes on a character. Exhibition is kind of architectonic, if you like. You know, you're assembling these things. That becomes really interesting. And so we took, on, we took I mean, one of the things we, we decided quite early on um, was to only show models, to not, to not try and over... Not, not try and have too much content, you know, so we weren't trying to have photographs and drawings and lots of text that told people this is this building and that's that and this means this. It was really about trying to create something kind of remote, you know, still picking up on that exoticism of New Zealand and, and kind but of... But it means that the, the observer can um, almost imagine what the architecture is themselves without having to be told what it is, so... It leaves a lot to the imagination, which goes back to the invisible cities mm. Mm. about those imaginary stories. So. Mm -hmm. And I think wanting to create, like, I know um, right back at the beginning, the thing that got us really excited about being involved is the idea that it might be something quite whimsical and really narrative-based. And we've had a lot of conversation lately about the catalogue and what form that would take and the idea that you might you know that we might be inviting some New Zealand authors um, to, to get involved in, in story writing about the projects and it's just a different way of understanding architectural presenting architecture and I guess at the beginning we thought um, how can we make something that's I think you may have touched on before universally appealing um, so you're up against you know USA and, and Italy and in Germany and kind of um, creating an, creating something that would capture people's imaginations. Calvino's uh, books, I think a lot of architects in a lot of countries around the world would have read as students and, and you know, there's just that commonality. We were interested in how architecture is always concerned with the future. It might be a short-term future or a long-term future, but it's always about speculating on something that is mm -hmm. not yet there. Mm -hmm. And so we wanted to talk about this not yet there condition. Mm -hmm. And New Zealand, I think, is an interesting society in that we've got this really um, interesting kind of demographic mix that is kind of evolving. And you know, we, we've got the, the discussions around kind of bi and multiculturalism, bi-nationalism, and. Um, you know, I think they're all in this mm. kind of mix, and again, we're not saying this is this and this is this. Mm -hmm. I think um, Ray, we used the word unsettled quite yeah. a lot mm -hmm. when we were talking about ideas, which was really lovely. You know, that that this sort of unsettled condition, where things aren't quite tied down, is a really productive, speculative, kind of hopeful, optimistic place to be, rather than this is exactly who we are. This is what we do. I wanted to ask you to describe what it's going to be like, as far as you know so far, um, to be in this exhibition. What will people see and how oh, will what feel? see? Well, <laughs> up until now, in fact, even now, we still don't really have a, a venue. You know, we had to design it without knowing what the venue was. There's, there's still yeah. some negotiations going around the venue. So not necessarily in the same place? Not the necessarily same space in the same place. No, year. it's not going it's to be the same place as last year. Yeah. We know okay. that. Right. And we, we're 98% sure we have the venue but it's there's still something goes sure. on. so it had to be designed to be versatile <laughs> you know because yeah. it could be somewhere it could it could have been somewhere we were not allowed to fix anything mm. to any wall or surface so um, 
we had this idea that these islands, and, we, and in some ways it's kind of literal, they are different islands that float in the space, uh, but we wanted to make it, again, ambiguous in that some of them, and they, 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 they're floating at different heights, and some could be read as landforms, mm -hmm. or some could be read as sea, or clouds, or volcanic fields, or whatever. Um, you know, and, and um, uh, Kathy had this great idea of kind of projecting things onto the underside, and so we could look at, you know, you could be in the antipodes. Mm -hmm. um, and Getting be a bit of confusion, confusion about down and, and some, orientation. You know, and then we had this idea that maybe some of the islands could be low and you could sit on them, because, you know, in exhibitions you sometimes have to walk through, you know, so the idea that in Venice with thousands of people you might just want to sit down and mm -hmm. <laughs> have a rest and, 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 and take within, you know. Then we got to a more difficult question. How does the New Zealand Institute of Architects, who are sponsoring the exhibition, and wider New Zealand, assess whether being at the Architecture Biennale is worthwhile? I'm aware of a growing interest in New Zealand and in New Zealand design and, and therefore New Zealand architecture. If, if we travel overseas, people, you know, there's more awareness of where New Zealand is. Like 10 years ago, people mm -hmm. didn't know where it was. Uh, if you went to America or whatever. Um, I, I think that, that exposure and the kind of world stage allows us to kind of test ideas. Um, it allows us to get a kind of um, a, a critique that we don't necessarily get within New Zealand. I mean, one of the good things about New Zealand architecture is that I find it a very collegial system, which yeah. is really mm. nice and encouraging, but also you think, oh, guys, you know, <laughs> you could do with a bit more kind of rigour in your critique. Completely agree. And so yeah. I think it will get that, and we're kind of aware that this potentially could have really rigorous kind of response. Yeah, but I think that um, the other Venice Biennale, the Art Biennale, mm. and the um, relationship New Zealand has had to that building up over the last sort of mm. 20 years or 10 years, is um, as an example. So it's not about being, um, oh, we're this little country and we've got to kind of be in there and represent ourselves. I think that the, what that, our increased involvement in that has shown is that the work's really good. And it and it um, you know and it's it can sit there with work from all over the world and be discussed and engaged with because it's really good and it's not about this kind of we're some little underdog team that have to get out there and mm -hmm. you know the yeah, slightly cultural yeah that's where the future islands thing came from is because you know it's going in there with a the confidence of we have this amazing opportunity here to um, to do interesting things and there's a freedom to being a young, smaller country yeah. um, in terms of the opportunities that we have architecturally as well as as well as in other ways. So that was sort of our position that it wasn't like we you know, we need to show you our best buildings and show you that we can make, you know, yeah. serious it's architecture. But it's like we've just got this this freedom here that we're really um, Yeah. I think that's right. It's, you know, I mean, it's kind of absurd in this day and age to have national pavilions yeah. of architecture mm. or art. You know, that mm. artists and architects work globally, and that their ideas come from anywhere. Uh, okay, they're filtered locally, but you know, I think that the Simon Denny yeah. uh, exhibition at the Venice Biennale this year just kind of raises yeah. that. He's, he's an international artist who mm. happens to yeah. be a New Zealander. Mm. But does this move from the idea of the lone? Outpost to the incre like an increasing global confidence mm. in New Zealand identity across a number of fields. I think it's, I think. I think it's, it's not an either or. I think both and. You know, I think that we, you know, we, uh, we are we are playing on an exotic yeah. component yeah. to New Zealand because it is remote and it is kind of uh, 
romantic, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's but it's yet part of the goal. I mean, that's part of that was part of the almost the, the proposition for the last architecture being Ali, Kohlhaas's proposition about uh, international modernity and how that had kind of gone around the goal. But so, um, David Mitchell's proposition was to kind of say yes but no. Mm-hmm. You know, that he is an alternative kind of uh, approach to international modernity that has this Pacific kind of thing. And, uh, you know, any argument you put forward uh, like that would be. It'll be full of holes. You know, you can pick it all sorts of things. And we're not saying that's why we're saying we're not being didactic. This is not New Zealand architecture. And that's it. It's actually here's a proposition that happens to come from New Zealand. You are listening there to Charles Walker, the creative director of New Zealand's next exhibition at the Venice Architecture Biennale, who is speaking to us along with his team members Kathy Wakehorn, Jessica Barter, and Maggie Carroll. Now, architects, I'm the only non-architect here, and I have to confess that I haven't read Invisible Cities. I presume you all have. What did you make of it, and what makes it so alluring to members of the architecture profession? Well, I'm going to stick my head up and say I haven't read it, but it's just gone straight to the top of the guilt pile. So. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think of it, Arch? Well, um... <laughs> no, I haven't read it, and I, I think... We can talk about maybe, I think you can talk about why it's alluring. It's alluring because people like to speculate about cities and fantasies, and, and it's a book about that. It's about imagined and fantastical kind right. of analogies. You sound so of, authoritative. Yeah, we can learn a lot from Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> and of course it's the truth. Yeah, but yeah, I think, you know, architects do like to... The, the scale of thinking about cities is larger than the scale on which we often work, and um, theses and books and ideas like Invisible Cities let you imagine on that scale. So you can certainly imagine, you can see the attraction, because it's an exploration that's quite hard to do on paper or in your career or in those types of work. And it's also a pretty sweet way to link to aquatic concepts, Venice itself, and then this concept that Charles and his team have developed of future islands. I think what I, one, one thing I was thinking about before, before today was, um, and this is, it's always a, arguably a slightly contentious comment, but this would be the second exhibition that speaks in some way to the remoteness and isolation of New Zealand. And is there, or I would like to see a time when our Biennale, our Biennale exhibition was about um, the Pacific City or yeah. um, a slightly more urban angle. You know, so yeah, yeah. so the idea that we um, do we obsess about our remoteness and our isolation. Mm. Well, I always think that New Zealand's you know sort of in this late adolescent phase at the moment, perhaps even just a bit beyond that. We're still sort of grappling with our identity, and a lot of that identity for a long time has been wrapped up with our isolation, our physical. Um, distance from the rest of the world and now that's almost being seen as perhaps a slightly positive thing and also we're physically separate but increasingly very connected um, Mm. because of technology um, and the way that that's changed in the last five years so Mm -hmm. I do see New Zealand as being in a constant state of change and I think um, Kathy uh, talked about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, of New Zealand being, uh, was it disrupted? Um, Unsettled. I mean, Unsettled. That's mm. it. And it's so perfect because it sums up, you know, the landscape, um, that sort of constant state of flux that I, I think we're in. I think it's 
exciting. Mm. And it will be manifest in our cities in many ways because we're now at a point where I think we understand ourselves a bit better. We're not trying to catch up to the you know, the pressures that made New Zealand develop over its you know, post-European history in such a short time, become a Western world and the, the, the commercial pressures that were on it. But now we're... Uh, I think more confident in who we are, and and that's influencing how we design our cities and how we you know, how we make places. And of Absolutely. course, there's, a, there's an argument that the more you talk about how your confidence is increasing, the more you're underlining the fact that you're not actually yet confident. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I the, one of the things I find most intriguing about the exhibition that Charles and his team are putting on is that they've abandoned this idea of a singular New Zealand architectural history mm. narrative. Um, and they're embracing the idea of this diversity of viewpoints. And I guess mm-hmm. that's coming from their teaching experience where they have, mm. you know, um, students in their classrooms that are from all over the world that and are participating in New Zealand architecture mm-hmm. in some ways and changing it. And Charles is, Absolutely. Charles is obviously not from New Zealand as well, so he brings a different view to it. Uh, yes. An objectivity, I think, in a yeah, way. You know, yeah, he's yeah. a New Zealander but has had a different experience so he can see it, mm. you know, through a different lens. Mm. Oh, with a number of people who... Um, who haven't origina- originated from New Zealand but have settled here and um, yeah they give a much clearer view of what it is we're all doing because it, it sits with an international context for them yeah. so yeah I also think going back to Calvino's um, uh, cities that um, New Zealand is in a, um, a place where we're no longer uh, denying our urbanity anymore we, mm-hmm. we most of um, most New Zealanders live in an urban situation We're a very now. urbanised nation. Totally. And increasing yeah. number. Yeah. Of, yeah. And I think that cities, um, you know, always throw up this idea of possibilities. You know, there's always a number of stories, quite literally and figuratively, going on in, in a city at any Annie. given time. Huh? Any. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, I think that that's exciting. Yeah. I think the only danger in this approach of embracing a diverse range of viewpoints or narratives for New Zealand architecture is I suspect that's harder to tie together into a coherent mm. exhibition concept. Mm. Yes. And I think that's going to be the real challenge for this team, yeah. to, to resolve it in a way that feels like it's saying something clearly and not just saying a whole lot of things in the background. And we mm. may check in with them again closer to the time mm. and, and get a bit of an update. I think that might crystallise when the, the theme for the exhibition is is proposed as well and yeah that's true know, because they are slightly working in the dark at the moment aren't mm. they because yeah. there hasn't been a theme for the biennale announced unlike mm. um david's david's team, team yep. who were able to react against rem Kulhas's modernist proposition mm. i think like the pressure of time to you know focus thoughts as well and they did have a lot of pressure of time yeah We've got a few more episodes in the mix we're working on at the moment, um, but if you out there have any thoughts on future episodes, any pressing questions, anything about New Zealand architecture that you'd like explored, let us know by our email address 76smallrooms at gmail.com or on our Facebook or Twitter pages and we'll add them into the mix too. So shall we organise a 76 Small Rooms field trip to report from the Biennale? I think so. I second that. <laughs> That's all for this, the second ever of podcast from the 76 Small Rooms team. So from us, Tash, Matt, Arch and Jeremy, thank you for listening. Um, architecture is always virtual. It's always... We need a little, when it's built, we, we need a little bell every time anyone on the podcast says, architecture is... And then, we go, yeah. and then we'll do like a super cut yeah. at the end so of the year. At the end of the year. Architecture is a journey. Architecture is virtual. Architecture. <laughs> <laughs>